Do you have a property that is in rough condition, has tenant issues, or a project that never got finished? Then you need to contact Homelink Properties. This Springfield, Missouri-based company will give you a fair cash offer on your property, completely as is, the same day you reach out. If you're an investor, Homelink Properties can also put your house in front of hundreds of cash buyers so that you too can quickly sell your property. Give them a call today, 417-295-0723. Titan Title and Closing of Missouri is ranked as Missouri's top title company for real estate investor transactions. Titan is your local title and investor-friendly experts. Whether you're seeking wholesale or assignments, subject tos, Titan can help you with your transactions. Sam and her team have made it their passion and drive to give investors a learning opportunity to expand their knowledge in order to grow and succeed in their ventures. I personally use them. They're fantastic. Give the experts a call today. 417-882-2100. Welcome to the Growth Circle Podcast, discussing topics of personal growth, gathering stories of individuals embarked on the path to success, and most importantly, providing a platform for individuals that want to learn and grow. And now, here are your hosts, Jake Ingledew and John Mitchell. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Growth Circle Podcast. I'm very sad to say we started to record this and we've had to botch it. So here we are starting take two. Uh, Today is going to be a little bit different of an episode. I've got my great friend uh, and baller of a real estate investor uh, and salesman, Mike Bowman, with me today. And uh, to give some context, uh, the reason why we're doing this episode is Mike had some business questions for me um, because he's looking at possibly purchasing a business. And so uh, he's going to ask me some questions, and uh, I emphasize this when I didn't record it, but we're going to take everything I say with a grain of salt because uh, I'm not some business guru. I'm not a pro. I literally have a, a pest control business I've had for four years that's doing pretty well. Uh, I have a lawn mowing business and I have a real estate business. So disclaimer, everything I say, take it with a grain of salt, um, but I will try to share what uh, has worked for me and uh, some of my thoughts about some of the questions that Mike might be asking me today. Yep, and thank you, Jake, for allowing me to interview you. So a lot of times here, if you've listened on the podcast, you know, Jake is interviewing other people. I felt like it would be beneficial for us to hear from him because he is a serial entrepreneur, serial business owner, you know, and creator. So I feel like from my outside perspective, I feel like he's done very, very well with for himself especially through businesses, ownership and creation of businesses. So just wanted to kind of pick his brain a little bit because maybe, you know, for, for me, I'm, I'm interested in buying a business or maybe starting one. And uh, you may have those same sort of interests. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur at all, you've probably had a thought of, do I need to work for a company? Should I go ahead and start my own company? I mean, there's just tons of business questions that you may ask yourself as an entrepreneur. So hopefully we'll learn from Jake today. And I, I feel like we really will. Or you may not. So again, take this with a grain of salt. You might just cast this aside. So so let's get let's let's get into it. Let's get into it. So I feel like um, you know, definitely we'll 
we'll get some good knowledge from Jake today about, you know, either buying or, or starting a business, which sounds like Jake has kind of done both of those. He's done, you know, pretty much everything business related um, on that aspect. So first question, I have a few questions for Jake, and they may be questions that you uh, would like to know the answer to. I definitely want to. So we'll pick Jake's brain. First question, why are some people cut out for business ownership while others are not? And this is a really good question. Um, <laughs> I have thought about this a lot. I've talked about it a lot with a lot of people. And I think it comes down to a couple different things. At first, I would always say, yes, everybody should start a business, should start a side hustle. And I still think that because there's some tax advantages to that if you're working a W-2. However, I do not think everybody is cut out um, to be an entrepreneur or business owner, though I think people could learn that skill and possibly do that. I think the difference between somebody that um, is not an entrepreneur and somebody that is an entrepreneur, uh, there's probably a lot of things, but the, the biggest thing that sticks out to me is that an entrepreneur is somebody that takes uh, action. And the more action that they take, the more success that they have. So if they're taking massive action, they're gonna be successful. A lot of times those that are uh, haven't started businesses or aren't cut out to start businesses, it's not because they're not smarter. In fact, I know a lot of people that are much smarter than I am um, that are not where, uh, where I'm at financially uh, or quote unquote success wise, and it's all because I took more action than them. Not because I'm smarter than them by any means, it's literally just because I took uh, more action. Uh, and I think, entrepreneurs, the, the reason why they're successful or are cut out to uh, start businesses or buy businesses and grow businesses is because they're willing to take quote unquote risk. But risk is everywhere. Everybody takes a risk. If you're working a W2 job, that's a risk. If you're a business owner, that's a risk. If you get in your car to drive, that's a risk. There's Everything is a risk. Entrepreneurs are just comfortable with taking the quote unquote risk. They're willing to take a step in the dark um, of the unknown just by action. Hopefully that makes sense. So basically they're, they're willing to, to move the ball forward by taking this leap of faith taking that step forward. And that's interesting. You talk about risk, that word risk sticks out more than anything than what you just said. And there are a lot of people that they want to just max out their 401ks at their W2 job. They do Roth IRA. They invest in the stock market. They just are very, very conservative, which is not a problem at all. There, there, there's truth to that. There's value to that. But usually business owners do not do that. Usually business owners are the risky, riskier type. You know? and, and I would even argue that doing that is riskier than managing your money on your own because you're trusting somebody that probably does not have the financial success that you want to manage your portfolio and your stocks and uh, throw it at the market to get some kind of return. Uh, so I, to me, I think that's riskier than you know, maybe investing in real estate or something. But that's that's another debate for another time. It is. It is. Well, thank you for that. And honestly, a lot of what you said reminded me of that phrase, and I'm probably butchering the paraphrase. But, you know, uh, hard work. If someone's not very talented, but they put in a lot of hard work, a lot of times they pass up the real talented kids who don't do a lot of hard work, you know? So look, I just what you mentioned about you getting out there and putting massive action, other people who buy businesses usually are putting massive action. You know, there are tons of people out there that are way smarter than you and me, have way more money than you and me, but if they're not putting the action, the little guy who's putting in all the action eventually climbs his way up and has a you know good business. For sure, and, and I just wanna say one last thing is, I think the only reason why I've had the success that I've had so far, and really my success is so, 
uh, minute compared to what it could be or other people are achieving. But the only reason why I've had the success that I've had so far is because literally I've taken action, I've networked and, and, and sought out knowledge from people that are a lot smarter than I am. And I pull those resources in to make things happen. Because I literally, as far as business goes, if you actually sit down and talk with me, you're gonna be like, dude, Jake doesn't know jack squat. <laughs> But I do know how to network and I do know how to be resourceful and I do know how to take action. Perfect. And you've told me that too. Your network is your net worth. You know, that's 100%. up on there. Um, another question. How do you know whether you should buy a business or not? Or, you know, in other words, what makes a business purchase a good deal? That's a tough question. And, I, and uh, I'm going to steal knowledge from somebody else because this is exactly what uh, I do is I don't reinvent the wheel. There's people out there that are a lot smarter than I am. So this is not my own advice. I got this from somebody else and I actually think it might've been Chris Cron that uh, came up with this, but I really like it. So he, he gives a, um, criteria for investing in winning businesses. Okay. And this is what they are. The first one is, uh, profit margins have to be greater than or equal to 25%. So your margins have to be at least 25% or else don't invest in that business. So if that business makes 100 grand, you need to be making at least you know 100 grand gross revenue, you need to be taking home profit after all expenses 25 grand or more. Correct. Now, Annually. I would say that just because a business doesn't have those margins now, there probably could be little micro improvements that can be made to easily bump that up to the 25% margins. For example, Say in your business, we'll use pest control as an example because I have a pest control business. Say I'm charging uh, uh, $99 and that's it. One small adjustment that you can make is to do $99.99. It doesn't change anything with your business. It's not gonna make it more complex or anything. It's just a small micro adjustment that you make by adding 99 cents that if you have you know, say 800 customers, that's essentially $800 extra let's say you're charging that per month, that's 800 bucks extra per month. So that can just so easily increase the margin. So you gotta be mindful of those opportunities, but I would say 25%. The, the second um, criteria is that they have to have an abundant lead source. So that means there has to be an opportunity that uh, enough people want it, need it, or use it, that leads could come in. So pest control, for example, in our area, there's bugs everywhere, it's almost a need, right? But something that might not have abundant lead source. Um, I don't even know if I could give a good example of this. Um, okay, so I was gonna start a uh, pooper scooper business. <laughs> 417 pooper scoopers, picking up dog poop. Now I think that business could be very good and very profitable, um, but you gotta look at the demographic of the area. How many people are dog owners? How many people are willing to you know pay to have somebody pick up their dog's poop, right? So it may or may not have abundant lead source. So you gotta look at that. Mm -hmm. Uh, the third one is simplicity. So I would buy a business to where you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to be the first one coming to the market with a brand new product or a brand new service that has never been created before, blah, 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 blah. Don't reinvent the wheel. If a business already does something that works, good. Go for it and then figure out how you can get 1% better uh, each and every day. Uh, the fourth one, delegations. So you want it to be able to delegate the operations very easily because if you're buying a business and uh you don't want it to consume you 
You want to be able to make sure it has systems in place to where it can delegate itself and somebody else can run and do the thing for you, like the daily operations, so that you can focus on the high level stuff and not be 40, 80 hours a week into the business. Last one, and if you have any questions on these, Mike, let me know. Uh, last one is customer focused. It needs to be focused on adding value to the customer. Because uh, at the end of the day, most people, like the reason why businesses are successful is because they go above and beyond for the customer. And customers are only willing to pay for the thing that they want you to do. So there's a lot of waste there. So it just has to be customer value focused. Okay. And you, if you could see us now, I'm nodding my head throughout this whole thing. All this stuff that Jake is saying is like, it's like gold. This is perfect. I hope you guys are catching on to this. Profit margins, 25% or more. Uh, that That's the first one. Really, one that I want to focus on for just a second, um, if it's okay, is delegation. So... Have you ever heard the phrase? I love that word. Oh man, that, <laughs> I've come to love delegation. Yeah, this is this is to a fault. huge. Yeah, this <laughs> is totally huge when when you have a business, at least from my outside perspective. Um, have you heard the phrase? You start running your business, and then in a few years, your business is running you. You know, how do you avoid that and scale your business? I think it's through delegation mm -hmm. because there are so many people out there. You know, small businesses that are one stop shop. You know, mom and pop owner. And they do everything. Right. They open up the doors. They sweep the floors. They grab the inventory. They put it on the shelves. They are the cashier. They are the marketer. They are the everybody. They're the bookkeeper. That is really hard to sustain a business without delegation. Tell us about that, Jake. Well, so and I think there's nothing wrong with that, right? But I think that most people, when they get into business or start a business, the reasons why they do that is because they want more time. They want more flexibility. And they want more money. And they want to be able to spend time doing the things that they love doing, like whether it's hobbies or their family or, or whatnot or whatever and whatnot. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But if you really, truly want time back, you've got to delegate. And if you were going to buy a business, so this is what I always tell people, and I've said it probably on the podcast before, you need to originate and delegate to be able to elevate. Hmm. Well, if you're going to buy a business, you don't have to originate it. It's already been originated for you. Hmm. And origination basically means create the thing, right? Create the system, create the business. That's the origination part. The delegation part, though, is just taking off those hats of being the person that's doing whatever operations, the office person, spraying the house with pest control, right? Taking those hats off and delegating to somebody else. But you have to have systems in place in order to do that because you have to have a standard by which people need to follow, so that way you can delegate. Because if you have a good enough system, you can delegate it to somebody, you can delegate it to a monkey to do the dang job because you have a system of how to do it, a checklist a process to follow. So I think, and the E-Myth talks about this, is a lot of people, they end up, you know, when they start their businesses, they get into this trap to where they're working in the business and not on the business. And the beautiful thing about delegating is it, it doesn't mean that you're not involved with the business or like you can't still have control people you know business owners get wigged out about not having control anymore or the quality going out the window well i can tell you from experience by me able to delegating stuff not only does that allow my company to grow more because i can focus on more high value um, things like whether it's selling an account to a commercial client or, or whatever i get to focus on more of those high value um, activities but it also like a lot of times I found that people do the job better than I did, even though I thought I was the best at it. No one can do it better than Jake. But really, I have an office guy 
that does the office side of stuff way better than I, I could ever dream of doing. At first, maybe not because you had to learn it, mm-hmm. you know, and grow a little bit. But shoot, I mean, originate, delegate, elevate. That's all I got to say. I think it's very important. Wow, that is really neat. And something that you that sparked when you said that was, you ever heard the phrase uh, an MWT, minimum wage task? So there, um, there are lots of business owners out there, and Jake's obviously not one of them because he knows what he's doing. That are doing <laughs> all of the tasks A to Z, even the minimum wage tasks. You know, the you know typing into a computer, picking up the trash in the office, something that you could delegate and pay somebody you know minimum wage or or a, f- a fair wage to do, and minimum wage tasks are probably not something that the business owner should be doing, you know? I mean, maybe up at the start, but it, when it reaches a certain point, like your pest control business is very well established. So you, you don't really have the time to be in the office answering the calls or spraying the houses with your, with your machine and your truck. You know, you're not doing that anymore. You yeah. have people that do that for exactly. you. Exactly. Something I always, and it's almost to a fault because I love delegation so much that it makes me seem like I'm lazy. <laughs> Sometimes I feel lazy because I love delegating so much. Um, is I always look for who has the time, the talent, the energy, the effort that I could leverage to do the thing. Even with some of the people that I, you know, um, invest with and partner with, I leverage their talents, their time, their energy and efforts as well. How do you find good people to work in your business? Do you find them on Craigslist or Facebook? <laughs> Indeed. I mean, where do you, where did you find your employees for your pest control business? I'll tell you my experience and I'm not saying that this is the best way to do it. I'll just tell you what I've done. Again, okay. take everything I say with a grain of salt. I know a lot of people use Indeed or they use um, Zapier or whatever, uh, or ZipRecruiter, not Zapier, mm-hmm. ZipRecruiter. Um, I've tried that and I have felt overwhelmed by the stuff that has come in. I feel like the best, the, the, the people that I have in my company that are fantastic are every single one of them are referrals from resources that I have, people I know, um, or through like me meeting them. So for example, my office guy, uh, I went to church with him and then, but I wasn't interested in hiring him, but then all of a sudden he lost a hundred pounds and I saw his dedication to himself and wanting to grow and improve. And I'm like, okay, that's a quality I can, I can get behind. So then I hired him. I uh, went to Subway one time and there was this kid that was just super cheerful and positive and taking my order and super friendly. I was like, okay, he's got something that I like. I interviewed him right then on the spot and basically hired him. Uh, and then, you know, uh, some of them have been from friends uh, from my lawn mowing business. I reached out to Lincoln and uh, who, if you guys don't know Lincoln, dude, he's the best wholesaler besides Mike, no no even better than Mike he's Roman. better he's better than me he's <laughs> he is totally a baller really uh, good but he gave me a referral for somebody i was going to hire for my pest control business turns out he's my business partner now this guy that i was going to hire for my pest control business and we started a lawn mowing business so it, 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 they have all come from um my resources okay so that seems like it's pretty common is that the the network that you have really can make or break you in business. Oh, 100%. And, and you have a good network and you're able to find some people that way, employees. So why does Robert Kiyosaki, um, and you may, if you're listening, you may have heard about Robert. He's a real estate investor, business investor. Uh, he's real real wealthy. He started out super broke. He wrote you know books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, other stuff. Um, but Robert Kiyosaki said we should all strive 
for the following order. First, you know, employee. You're an employee. Second, you become a business owner. Third, you're self-employed, entrepreneur. And then fourth, you know, the final stage of progression that we should all try, strive to get to is investor. So um, that's, he, I think he wrote a book about it or something, but it's, it just, you know, you start out as an employee, nine to five, maybe you buy a business, then you become self-employed, maybe you create a business, and then you're an investor. So why do you think the end goal is, is investor and, you know, why is business owner on there? Yeah, and I would just, uh, I would probably just make one correction. I, I don't think it's uh, employee to business owner. If it were to be like a step order, and I don't think it is a step order, if it was a step order, it would be probably employee to self-employed to business owner to uh, investor. But I don't think it is. I think like uh, Robert Kiyosaki talks about the, I, I think this might be in cash flow quadrant, that there's a left side and there's a right side. The left side of the quadrant is you've got W-2 employee and then you've got self-employed. Um, which neither one of those are bad things, but then you got right side of the quadrant, which is where people typically, um, become more successful or more financially independent or are able to grow their wealth significantly is by being business owners and investors. I think you can be all four. I think you can just be one or two. I personally like to be on the business owner side and the investor side, because owning a business means that if you take a year sabbatical, like you leave, your business still runs without you. When you're self-employed, that can't happen. So I would still venture to say that my business with my pest control company, I'm still self-employed. Like really? I'm on the cusp of business, because I could take a month vacation for sure, and my business would continue to grow and run without me. But a year sabbatical, I don't know, I haven't done that yet. So I don't know if I own a business yet, quote unquote, right? According to Robert Kiyosaki's standards. Um, but I think the reason uh, I don't even actually, I kind of lost track of what your question was. It, it was just kind of, let's, let's talk about it, you know, more, more, let's just talk about it on why, why those different stages are important. You know, why, you know, investor and small business owner are on there mm-hmm. and, or, or even big business owner, you know, yeah. I mean, we're talking small, we're talking, you know, a couple hundred thousand, couple million dollars is kind of the businesses you and I are looking at, yeah. but there are other people maybe listening that have, you know, a, a billion dollar business. I mean, there are so many business and that's why we're here is to kind of pick Jake's brain because businesses are a big thing, you know, and there are lots of moving parts. Yeah. I, I love businesses uh, just as much as I love real estate. Well then let's, let's uh, go ahead and talk about you going on vacation for a year. <laughs> let's, uh, how do you get to the point of being hands off on a business model? So how do you get where you can take a sabbatical for a year? How do you get to that point as a business owner? It comes down to one word, really. You have to have systems. You have to have systems and you have to hire good people and have a good culture for them to follow the systems and the processes and to make decisions without you. Uh, this is something I love about my pest control company is that every day my guys make daily improvements. They're empowered to make positive changes in the company without having to ask me for it. I just like their job is not to be a pest control technician. Their job is to be a process engineer, which means improve the process continue to look for opportunities to improve the process. And so um, I think that's how you gotta do it. You've gotta have a system, you've gotta have uh, a good culture and people to, to follow the system. How do you talk your workers into thinking that way? I mean, how, do, how does it 
you know, you see people who work at fast food and maybe they're like, oh, I can't wait to clock out at five. I could literally care less about what happens to this business after I clock out. And there's that end of the spectrum. And then there's your guys out there spraying thinking, okay, I can, you know, put my tank of pest control on this side of the car to make it faster. And how do you get that difference between who cares when I clock out or I do care? It's hard. It's really hard to get there because people automatically resist change. So anything that's new, they're going to uh, resist it. Luckily, I'm a small enough company that it's easier to implement. I think it'd be harder to implement with a bigger company. But how you do it is, or this is how I'm doing it, is that every day from 7.30 to 8 o'clock, I pay my guys to do nothing but focus on making improvements, making changes uh, that will make their lives easier, their job easier. So basically I say, hey, whatever's bugging you, fix that thing that's bugging you to make your life easier. So that's all That's all they're, they're, they're doing. Um, most people, the reason why, like, most people, because of the system, whether it's the school system, whether it's our parents, we get programmed into the system to just basically going through the motions and doing these rote things that we can't critically think for ourselves. We don't stop and take time and think through processes um, to make those decisions. And I'm powering my guys that even if they make a mistake, so I've literally had guys make mistakes, but I don't. it's not their fault, it's the process's fault. It's always. It's usually always the process's fault. So what can they do? to fix the process so that we don't make those mistakes again. So you just gotta empower them to critically think and to improve the quality of their lives. As a business owner or an entrepreneur, your biggest number one priority is to have a vision and to create a culture um, and develop your people, hmm. which all three kind of go hand in hand. Very cool, thank you. Have you ever had to let somebody go or, uh, or what? Yes, but luckily as I was gonna let them go, they had other life plans happen so I didn't have to have that difficult conversation, but there is one person that is leaving my company. Um, and, um, if, if they weren't going to leave it, I'd probably fire them anyways. So, cause they're not a right fit for the culture, but that's, what's great about building a culture is that people that come on and don't want to be part of the standard or the culture, they feel uncomfortable and they'll automatically leave anyways. Hmm. Or your team will say, Hey, this person's not cut out for the team. They're not part of the culture we're trying to create. So that's really what you're describing a successful business. What you have in your pest control is it's a tight knit thing. Yeah. It's not sure. like a, Oh, I don't know anything about Jerry. He's just a coworker. It's like everybody knows each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And that's what we do every morning. We have a morning meeting that is focused on improving ourselves, developing ourselves. And, uh, it's not centered around business. It's just centered around improving. And so when you create that culture and you're getting the, uh, interact with your employees and, and be part of this morning meeting that has nothing to do with work. It's just about improving ourselves. Uh, it builds a pretty good uh, camaraderie, I think, a, a tight-knit group. Thank you. So next question, how would you finance a business purchase or startup? Let's say you're starting a business. Let's say you're buying a business. You paying cash? Are you getting an SBA loan? Are you doing owner finance? How does one go about making their business a reality as far as the funding? Again, take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I think it depends, right? So uh, for a startup, in my opinion, I will do everything I can to bootstrap that thing to where I do not have to have a loan on it um, and it for it to basically pay for itself. So if, like, if I need a truck, well, if I buy a truck that I have to make the payment on, I'm getting enough 
money coming in to be able to pay for it. But I would do everything I could to bootstrap it. The thing is, is a lot of times in business, for some reason, I think we think we have to have all the stuff lined out. I'm just talking about a startup right now. If you have to have, you have to have all the stuff lined out. Well, what if I, and let's go back to me being pest control. Before I even bought all this stuff, I got like five clients that say, yeah, you can come spare our house for pest control. Mm-hmm. Well, I already got them pre-sold, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe they even pay up front, which would be really ideal. But let's let's say they do. Well, now I've got the money to go buy the equipment I need to be able to spray their house. <laughs> so like it, it, I think it depends. I went all in and just bought all the stuff and I financed my truck, right? Uh, but every, all the other equipment I bought out of my own pocket. So I think that with startups though, I think it's important to try to bootstrap it. Um, but as far as like buying a big business, I would try to get them to owner finance it because I am so fan, such a fan of not wasting my capital or uh, using an SBA loan. Okay, thank you for that. And what you were talking about those first five clients on your pest control reminded me. So recently within the last few years of this podcast, um, Elon Musk released a Cybertruck and so it's it's you know a fancy electric truck and it's i don't even think it's on the showroom floor yet but he released that he's gonna have one he had a prototype during the prototype big reveal meeting you know there's tons of people at an arena um he threw a, a metal ball at the window or the windshield something like that this is me paraphrasing from memory and it long story short he said it was bulletproof glass on this new truck and it broke the window <laughs> when he when he threw this ball at it so um, it just it shocked everybody. There was some negative press, but you know what happened? Tons of people put down deposits on that, and it got huge publicity. So it was a huge publicity, maybe a publicity stunt, but it was only $100 to pre-order one of those Cybertrucks, and he raised millions of dollars in deposits. In, hey, we know it's not here yet. We know it's just coming in the future, but here's my 100 bucks. He raised millions of dollars, from my knowledge, and he could take that and leverage that money at a bank and say, okay, look, I already have millions of dollars of people who want this product. And then now I'm going to use this millions of dollars to put a down payment at a bank or, you know, to finance the other millions of dollars to create the product. So yeah. I, I just thought that was interesting, kind of a similar scenario where you're getting the money before you really have the product. Yeah. And then that kind of brings the product. Yeah. So, yeah. And I love that. I mean, I wish, um, I wish I would have done more of that, but I think if if I were to go and start another business, and I uh, I would probably try to do it that way to do pre-orders. Awesome. And then we already kind of talked about this next question, uh, but what's the typical ROI on a business? You know, twenty five percent or more margins. Uh, so for as ROI, I don't know, but as far as like margins, I think um, I think a lot of people say, that, and, and again, take. <laughs> take my advice for what it's worth. But I think a lot of people say that it, um, you know, on average, um, most companies, if you're about 20% margins, I would say, um, I think that'd be pretty, probably pretty average, but I don't want to be average. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously you want to make more than that on your business. So let's say you buy an existing business, Jake, cause you've done some startups. Let's say you buy an existing business. How, how many years do you want that to pay off? Are you paying, you know, for a purchase price of a business? Are you looking at what was the net income for one year? And I pay three times that if they made a hundred grand this year, after all expenses, am I paying 300 grand for the business? What's kind of the, how do you, kind of calculate a purchase price on an, on a business. Yeah, that's tough. That's not my expertise, honestly. Um, I just kind of base it off of real estate cause I, because real estate is what I know. And I know like the 1% rule in real estate, you know, if you purchase something for a hundred thousand dollars, you want to get at least 1% in, in cash flow. So that'd be a thousand bucks, um, you know, a month. So 
I kind of look at it like that, but there's a lot of other factors that uh, need to be incorporated with that. So um, I don't think I give you the best advice on that, man. Like I, I just can't. Okay. But cause you're good at starting business businesses, you know, yeah. that's what you've done. You've yeah. started them from the ground up. I'm not the... good at buying existing businesses. Cool. Cool. But it's my understanding that you've looked at potentially buying a few businesses recently. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times what you can do too, is you can like look at the industry and, and find out what the multiplier is, like what they're worth based off of their gross revenue. And so I like to look at the numbers and see what they've got going on. What's their net income? What's their gross revenue? Um, and then usually you can, I think you can put on like a multiplier depending on the industry specific. Uh, so for example, I was looking at a, um, RV repair business. Well, we looked at it and looked at the net income and I think we times it by like three or whatever the industry standard mm-hmm. was or whatever. And we knew that that's probably what it's about, about what it's worth. And so obviously I wanted to buy it cheaper than what it was worth. So, so you're saying for different industries, you're looking at different multipliers and different. Okay. So there's, there's a different businesses probably are worth, you know, different amounts, you know? So maybe on, on that particular RV business, you know, you're looking at three times the annual income net is what you would offer for it. But maybe another business you're looking at 10 times the the net. So it sounds like maybe in different business types, different business models, they're just different formulas. Yeah. And and I think it just, I mean, that's as far as my knowledge goes, right? There's probably better ways of doing it, but that's just my knowledge so far on it. Cool. Thank you, Jake. So uh, next question, how do you know that you're following all the rules and regulations for the business industry in which you work? Cause you have a pest control business. How do you know that you're doing everything like by the book? Do you go to <laughs> seminars? Do you have continuing education? Like, what do you do? Oh, just take action. If you get a slap on a wrist, you know, you need to make changes. <laughs> <laughs> Wing it. <laughs> no, but for real, like for real, I think there's some truth in that, right? Just start taking action. And when the obstacles come up, then you go, oh crap, I need to do this. Right. Um, but I think that whatever industry that you're looking into, you probably need to do some research. Uh, especially, and a lot of times they might be state specific, for example, pest control is state specific, specific. Um, so I would just look at the rules and regulations for whatever industry you're trying to get to with the state, um, and make sure you're being coherent to those. Okay. And it's probably different per state because different states have different rules yeah, and laws and different per industry too. Per, per industry. Yeah, yeah. Per industry. Cause so Correct me if I'm wrong, but in pest control, you have to have a license, right? You have some sort of license to do that? Yep. Yep. You have to have the license to apply it. You have to have a license to sell it. Um, So, yeah. And that's probably something you renew frequently, right? Like every year, Mm -hmm. like something like that. So uh, that leads into the next question. So how, how do you keep track when you own a business of your finances and your books. And obviously you're paying for uh, licensing fees. Potentially you have people on payroll, you have products, maybe you have a rent at your office space. You have a lot of money coming in and out when you own a business or when you start one up. How do you keep track of that? Oh gosh, I need to be better at that myself. But I use what's called the profit first formula. Uh, and I love it. It's a, just a way to set up your bank account. So it helps you to kind of stay on top of that stuff more and to manage your your money better. And essentially what the profit first is, is it, it's a it's set up in a way to where you make sure you're paying yourself first and then your expenses are last. So then that means if you have expenses that it, you can't pay, maybe you need to cut them out. So it kind of helps you budget as well. Um, but essentially, I'll, I'll just give you like the general concept of what it is. Um, and you can adjust the numbers to whatever your needs are, but I'm just going to use a generic. Um, but basically it's five bank accounts. You have your profit account, 
actually let's do it like this. You have five accounts. You have your revenue account, which is one account that all your money goes into. Then you have your profit account, which that account goes to paying you as the business owner, or if you have shareholders, that's who it goes to paying as well. Then you have a savings account to save up for whatever capital expenditures may come or you know uh, investments or whatever. Um, and then you have a tax account and then you have um, operating expense account. And I divvy up those into different percentages and it might look something like this. So all the money goes into the revenue account. So 100% of the money mm-hmm. every month goes in the revenue account. 60% might go to operating expenses and then 10% to each of the other accounts. That might be an example. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I do to manage some of that stuff. There's, you know, QuickBooks is going to help you do some of that stuff too. And there's systems and softwares in your accountant and you know, all that will help you with all that. So, uh, but that's kind of what I do. Awesome. Thank you for that. And then you probably, I mean, do you pay your people digitally or do you write checks every week or every two weeks or dude, we are in 2022. I don't (laughs) write checks to nobody. (laughs) If you do, you're a baby boomer and no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, um, no, I, don't. I, I wrote a check yesterday, Jake. <laughs> I, know, I know I did. I kind of checked. I kind of checked the other day too, only because they wouldn't accept something else. Yeah. Anyways, credit card. But yeah, exactly. That's what people should be accepting. Mm-hmm. Um, no, all my people are paid, um, direct deposit nice. uh, through, you know, payroll services. You can do that through QuickBooks. You can do it through outsource it through accountants. I am not good at accounting. I am not good at payroll. I outsource it. Again, I'm leveraging somebody else's time, effort, energy, and talents uh, to do the thing that I don't know how to do. Okay, good deal. Thank you for that info. So we're getting down to the final two questions. And um, these could go in any direction. And since we're we're learning from you today, you can take them in whichever direction you want to (laughs) go. Or you may not learn, be learning. Or um, (laughs) I may be steering you astray. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. The second to last question. What is the biggest pro to owning a business? And you can think about that for a minute. Take all the time you need. What's I, the biggest pro? To I'm just going to hip fire this, man, and go off of exactly that comes to mind. Uh, the biggest pro is you get your time back. You get your freedom. You get uh, financial freedom. You get the ability to make choices. Um, it could, But the caveat is, is if you have a good business, right? Uh, cause people listen to this like, well, I've got a business and I don't have got time. I'm working 80 hours a week. You know, I, I don't have financial freedom. I'm still living paycheck to paycheck, but I don't have to take, you know, listen to whoever to boss me around or whatever. So, um, I think it, you have to create the business to be able to have these things, but time is probably the biggest pro for me personally, because, uh, nothing's more important to me than my family, my relationships with other people. I'm trying to work on my health and my spirituality. And you're looking good too on your health. Looks like you're working out. I see you right across, right across the table. So <laughs> thank you. Um, Bag of your shirt. That's all. It what, is. Is, <laughs> what is the biggest con to owning a business? So we oh. got we to gotta play devil's advocate here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I'm going to say a couple that come to mind. And one of the cons is actually also a pro. The biggest con that comes to my mind is dealing with people. <laughs> but it's also the greatest pro. Um, because as a business owner comes, I mean, it's almost like having more children, man. Like that's a big con is having to deal with other people. Um, and people are imperfect. And so you have to deal with imperfections. So, uh, that's probably a big con, uh, for me. Um, gosh, that's probably the biggest con for me, honestly. Like 
dealing with people's crap. Yeah, honestly, yeah. that's probably the biggest con for me. Because uh, when I started thinking about some of the other cons, I'm like, no, but they're pros. Like, there's a lot of stress that comes with owning a business. But also, that's like the greatest pro because I'm learning, I'm growing, and I'm challenging myself. So it's like, I can't really say it's a con because it's getting me outside my comfort zone. It's helping me grow. Um, so I'd say, honestly, the biggest con is is literally just dealing with the imperfections of people. And that kind of reminds me of the phrase, the customer's always right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, man, being the business owner behind that phrase, oh, oh, man, that'll take you down. And I think there's truth to that statement, but also they're not always right. And I tell my guys this. For example, there's customers that think they know about pest control and how bugs work and how chemicals should work and all this stuff. I tell my guys, no, you're the professional. They're not. You have the license. They don't. So be the professional. So the customer's not always right. And there are cu some customers that are such pains in the butt. And we're, we're even doing this right now in my business. We're looking at, hey, if you're a pain in the butt, you're way out of the way. And there's a lot of like factors that we're looking at. We're going to cut you out because, because you're such a headache to deal with. We could go get another customer that's a lot easier to deal with. <laughs> so it's like we're just kind of looking at, you know, 80-20 principle. 20% of your customers are going to produce 80% of your income, you know? <laughs> so start cutting out some of the people that are maybe outside of your area or maybe you took them on because you just needed the money right then and there, but now you're reevaluating. You know, we're looking at a lot of different stuff. I think that's important to do. And as a customer of both of your businesses, <laughs> this is a completely unbiased shout out. Uh -huh. um, Jake's business services my house for pest control and his mowing business services my house for mowing. And both are phenomenal. So the guys, when they come mow my yard, they text me when they're coming. They do it super quick. Um, the pest control, super friendly when they come. So definitely, I feel like you do have a good thing going. That's why we're asking you because you've been very successful. I really loved that you said that phrase because this is my vision for my pest control company. You said that you just said that it was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. The vision for our pest control company is to become be known as the standard pest control company in Springfield, Missouri because of our phenomenal customer experience. With that word? That's With the that word? exact nice. word. And so we have put so much emphasis on how can we create a customer, a good customer experience. I've even told my guys, and this might be crazy to other people, I know we spray pest control, but I could care less about how good you spray pest control. I, And that's not true, right? But I'm, what I'm meaning is, is like, I care more about you creating a good customer experience more than getting rid of their bugs. And so that's a big priority for us. But obviously part of a phenomenal pest control experience is also quality and- You gotta get rid of the bugs. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So anyways. Good deal, Jake. Well, that covers a lot. Thank you for your time and thanks for sharing a little bit of your knowledge. I'm, I'm, please send us all a bill for, for all the <laughs> listeners. Get all this good knowledge. You can, uh, oh, by the way, if you have found any value from this podcast episode, please, uh, you know, uh, subscribe. Please share it with somebody that might need it. Um, we're just doing this because we enjoy uh, giving back our two cents worth of knowledge. Um, so please do that. And then also, uh, you can uh, donate. <laughs> <laughs> and no, and if you, you, you can sponsor too. I believe you have a yeah. few sponsors on the podcast as yeah. well. If you have a business and you want to promote it, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are very business minded and they you know may be potential clients if you already have a business. So it's definitely something to reach out to Jake and talk about. A lot of this has really helped me personally, so I'm glad we were able to do it. I'm, uh, I'm stuck in the entrepreneurship, self-employed, 
category right now. So I know we've talked a little bit about Jake. Maybe we'll talk a few minutes about me. I'm a full-time realtor, real estate investor, and I, I wholesale houses. And it would not a, not a penny of it would function without me. I'm the assistant. I'm the CEO. I'm the everything. I'm the guy who finds the deals. I'm the guy who gets rid of them. I'm the guy who you call and text and email. So it, there, there's literally not a single employee besides myself. So it's not a business. It's more of self-employed right now. Mm-hmm. So hopefully a lot of this can help me turn that around. And you know, if I end up buying a business, then it'll help out too. So can I can I call you on the spot too on this? Too? Yeah, because I think it's important for people to hear. Because you're good at you're very good at what you do, um, very good at what you do, Correct. and you're very good at having a positive, cheerful uh, disposition, which I think is important. How stressed are you really, though? I've been stressed since the day you met me a year or two ago, Jake. Yeah, and I've been honestly stressed out for probably four or five years, like to the max. It feels yeah. and. It may be silly because I know there are lots of people out there doing way bigger deals than I am. You know, me, I, you know, I flip a few houses or I buy a few apartments or whatever. It's very small in comparison to the GDP um, and all that stuff. But for me, I am stressed out all the time. I mean, the time, the two times where I'm not stressed out is probably when I'm at church and when I exercise. And then, cause that's when things just kind of float behind. And sometimes when I hang out with my family, but even hanging out with your family, still the stress creeps in and the yep. business creeps in and yep. questions and problems from the day creep in. I, I, the only reason why I wanted to point that out is because I want to emphasize to other people is that Sometimes the wealth is not as important as um, the time that you get and the, the opportunities you get to not have to focus so much on stress. And I think systems help you do that. So you got to have good systems in your business so that you're not doing everything and stress to the max. So that's something that, I need to work on. Not that that's not a way to get successful because Mike Bowman, for those listening, is a very, very successful person. But he'd probably be 10x that if he had systems in, in place. Hmm. And would have not taken a few years off of my life. I feel like that stress, man. It's like eating bacon. It'll yeah. take years yeah, off he's of your got life. One gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again, Jake. I feel like we've all learned so much. So pros and cons to buying a business Q and a with Jake. So thank you again and look forward to interviewing you again Thanks in the for, future. Thanks for hosting, dude. All right. See ya. Thank you for listening to the growth circle podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, connect with Jake and John on Instagram at Jake Engledew and at John underscore the underscore builder. Until next time.